Movement Rio Media presents A Few Good Physios with Dr. Eric Munoz and Dr. Leonidas Scantolides. You can't handle the truth. What is physical therapy? More research. More research. True therapeutic effect. Join us each week as we discuss current trends in medicine, rehabilitation, and strength and conditioning. The answers are out there. All content is a collaboration between On Point Sports Care and Integrated PT Squared. A Few Good Physios is not medical advice and is used for educational purposes only. If you are having pain and or health-related complaints, please seek out a licensed healthcare professional. Thank you for downloading. Enjoy. Welcome back, episode 17. Here we go, a few good physios. A few good physios. Today's going to be a, a shorter session. It's going to be a, special, though. But a very special <laughs> show. A very special, can't speak, judo, judo, jujitsu brain. <laughs> um, insurance is the topic of the day. Uh, yes. The good, the bad, and mostly the ugly. <laughs> uh, we will start off. Well, we'll get a little personal with um, the day in review, the week in review. Week in review. Uh, Lee broke the ice today. I'll let him tell you what's going on. Yes, yeah, so I'm back at jiu-jitsu. Went today uh, in our classes. They split it up in the beginning. It's starting with standing work. Then you go through some drills. Then you go into live rolling, and there's multiple rounds of live rolling. So I did not do the live rolling. So I just did the standing and the uh, drilling, and it was it was really hard. I was telling Eric before we started, um, I just I kept it in my head two days ago that I wasn't gonna roll. I'm not gonna roll. I'm not gonna roll. <laughs> so as soon as the as soon as Mr. Danaher said, "All right, get ready for live rolling," I was like, "All right, see you later, bye." That's great. <laughs> and that room today, just to give you guys, for anybody that understand, uh, anybody watches jujitsu or MMA, they had a GSP. And what was the other guy's name? Craig Jones. Craig was there. Jones, yeah. Amongst other. There was somebody fighters. else there. I can't remember who it was, but uh, somebody else famous. Everyone was just full of incredible top, people. Top level, yes. Yeah. So it's um, congratulations, breaking the ice. Yeah, thanks, man. He's back in the loop. There'll be more to come, I'm sure. And my neck felt great, even though I, I got rolled back a couple of times. It felt really good. Yeah, I mean. So. The first day back after a long weekend, so, <laughs> but um, not as exciting as that room. So in cool. and out of network, let's um, let's make some distinctions here. So everybody in theory knows a little about insurance, but unfortunately, when you, if you talk to five different people, you'll probably get five different answers. And hopefully, uh, at the end of this podcast, you'll be able to have some of the basic lingo and terms. But the nature of insurance is confusion. So you, it may not make sense to you. Yeah. Reach out, let us know if you have any questions. But, you mm. know, this is obviously from our understanding. Um, and just in the eight years of us practicing uh, physical therapy, things have changed quite a bit. Um, and not for, not on the positive side for a provider or a practice, uh, private practice, large practice, you name it. I mean, in, for the consumer and the provider, things have been... Le- um, Somewhat compromised by the day, um, but if you own any kind of healthcare stocks, you're doing very well because uh, healthcare companies are doing very well these days. So, mm-hmm. Lee, what, what's uh, what's in network? What's out of network? That's a good question. So, 
Um, there is two major categories of when you have insurance benefits. So let's start with in-network. In-network insurance benefits are um, benefits that you can receive that the insurance companies basically have vetted. I'm putting. I'm going to put that in a quotation. They have quote vetted, um, and that they can uh, be ranging from physicians to physical therapy clinics. Um, dental practices, dental practices, uh, any other rehab facilities, I, not pharmacy. Pharmacies don't fall in the I don't think so. No, that, they're, they're not in no, and out. No, no, no. They're not in and out, but they have their own little system of generics and name brands, and, and insurance companies could dictate which medications they cover, but that we're not as familiar with those terms. Right. So once they have, quote, vetted these institutions then they can somewhat dictate their reimbursement rates to these places. So usually these these places, they'll go in contract um, with these insurance companies. And so what that means is they're, they're, they agree upon a certain reimbursement rate for a certain service. And then you know, the unfortunate thing is in these contracts, they're pretty binding. They're binding in the sense that they're not like per month Per six months, per three months, or usually for a year. Per year, and there's often inclusions that have automatic renewals, but which obviously can be you know um, debated in court. But yeah, most <laughs> of these insurance um, companies they do have like these reoccurring contracts. Now, pros and cons. You know, typically an in-network facility, as Lee said, vetted, credentialed. They use a lot of different terminologies. Basically, the insurance companies sees that your practice is, I don't even know. I want to say legit, but I don't... But it's not not, even... No, 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 no. We can't even... (laughs) We can't say that because we do know of, uh, you know, many, many. I mean, unfortunately, we've discussed this in previous podcasts. There are many in-network practices that don't really practice physical therapy. So they do something else. (laughs) Um, Ultrasound and East East them Shake and bake. Shake and bake. So... So they go through this process, but the big kicker here is this negotiated rate amongst the provider and the company. Now, I've never been through a situation where, through that, but through hearing stuff um, through colleagues, you know, and passing in the last eight years in New York City, you know, these rates are okay, um, but usually they're not good enough to sustain a practice. This is why most in-network practices do have to see a higher volume of patients in order to cover expenses and put some food on the table. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. so in network, this is really a contracted rate. Um, a lot of hospitals are in network, and the larger the institution, the larger leveraging power they have with the insurance companies. So, insurance companies, you know, give a better rate at this higher volume. And I, I, I'm making a lot of assumptions here because I don't know the intricacies, but that's how it is. So in that work, it's pretty much deductible, excuse me, usually when you utilize in-network services as a patient, you typically pay a copayment. And that copayment, you know, here in New York City could range from anywhere from 20 to $75, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, big, um, big it's a big, big gap, you know, in some cases even more. A lot of employers uh, give 
their employees options on insurance. And a lot of them just may cover in-network services because they are cheaper plans if you just choose in-network benefits. I'll let Lee elaborate a little on that. <laughs> uh, I have two questions. I, um, the copay, uh, that copay is going towards their in-network deductible or no? That's just their co... No, no, that's just the... That's the agreeable rate with the patient and the insurance company that they would only pay X amount if they see an in-network provider. Gotcha. I don't think that goes toward a deductible, um, although it probably... That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know I'm that not sure. sure. I'm not sure. That might just be a cost. And, and mm. with the contracted rate, that's kind of probably packaged in somehow. Yeah, and I did want to touch upon why, or, or like you know, I think there's a lot of confusion in the physical therapy world from a patient who's not familiar with these things. Why they see a PT in an in, in-network setting for a certain amount of time? Well, as Eric was saying, usually to sustain a workable practice, because of the small reimbursement or the less than optimal reimbursement rates they're getting, they have to see more patients to sustain the the practice. So that includes rent, salaries, things like that. So they typically, in, in those, in general, you're going to find the uh, quality that you're getting for physical therapy is not fantastic. And you'll probably get more things like ultrasound and e-stim and all the passive modalities. So that's typically in an in-network clinic. Yeah. Um, and some of the in-network, you know, here in New York City, uh, with there's a lot of large institutions, particularly hospital Groups, um, these larger hospitals do have a little more, they have varied practices. They have, you know, they do the ultrasound in Easton, but within that, they do have some providers that are doing some great work, and they have a decent amount of time to work with patients. And again, this is because they're a larger institution and have a lot more leverage in getting enough resources to not see as many patients. Right. So... um if you have car insurance, you know that uh, a deductible. If you hear the word deductible, that means like, oh, you have to, you have to pay. Like, say, you get into a car accident with car insurance, you have to pay um, a certain amount of money before your health insurance kicks in to, let's say, repair your car, replace your car, whatever it may be. So, the higher the deductible, the not so great your situation is. Right. So and that's the same here with health insurance. So. Right. Um, uh, a disturbing, alarming trend for patients is that in the recent years, deductibles have skyrocketed, right? We all know, if you picked up a newspaper, that premiums have gone up, you know, somewhat astronomically since the since last 10 years, I would say. Yeah. Uh, but the deductible has as well. So, you know, t- typically, I- I'm going to make a lot of generalizations. 10 years ago, 8 years ago, you might have had $250 deductible up to a thousand dollar deductible and some in network policies, those have gone to eight grand. I, I can use my insurance yep. as a, an example. <laughs> so for all of you, I'm going to uh, disclose some information. I have an eight thousand dollar deductible, and then I have a sixteen thousand dollar out of pocket max, and that is quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and I have seeked out of network care this year. On several occasions, so it didn't. It wasn't covered by insurance, uh, which I was fine with because I'm much better now. <laughs> right, right, right. So you know, you get what you pay for. Lee right. paid out of pocket for his 
quality care and mm -hmm. didn't have to see his uh, therapist uh, 20 times. No, it was actually three. Wow. Or not even. And he's back and, on the mats. And I had a serious, you know, the in the category of like if we were to see a patient who had frank motor weakness or neurological weakness. Serious. That would be serious. I would be like, we, ha we, we would be saying to this person, it would be great to get an MRI or go see your doctor. Um, and, you know, because I saw a skilled clinician, they, they knew what to do and they gave me those recommendations and I went through the right course. And now non-surgically, I'm doing okay and I'm going to start, I'm going to continue to get better and get back to the activities that I was doing before. Yeah, so in-network deductibles, premiums have gone up. Um deductibles have gone up and what you're actually getting has gone down way way down in terms yeah. of the quality of care you take a look at the average doctor right the doctors are are unfortunately subject to these forces as well and doctors you know are often all double booking triple booking um seeing patients for about two and a half minutes i'm making a lot of generalizations <laughs> but if any of you guys have been to certain doctors you know you've experienced um a short visit, and um, you know, unfortunately, the doctors are trying to survive. I think. I mean, they're trying to keep things afloat. Yeah. So <clears throat> all of these forces are affecting the quality of care. Now, going into out of network um, it benefits that that is you dealing with the provider that does not have a contract with the insurance. Um, what this means typically is a higher deductible. So those high deductibles that we were mentioning can go higher. Um, it also means that the provider can charge whatever the market rate is, and the insurance company arbitrarily kind of goes with what the market rate is to reimburse mm -hmm. uh, this provider. Um, things change quite rapidly, as Lee and I were discussing before. So stuff that we knew, well, if we made this podcast on how to optimize... I don't know, reimbursement rate or how to optimize, basically how to navigate the system, Next, tomorrow it could change. Um, that's part of the problem that, you know, the, the rules, or not even the rules, the private insurance policies change pretty quickly. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's so weird. I'm just thinking about it right now. But I think people have to know, even if they think about it, uh, what we just said, you don't always... They're sell the insurance companies are selling this in network idea because I've gotten emails from the insurance my insurance company, and they're like you, you know they they list off these bullet points of what the benefits are of seeing an in network person and I'm like none of those are true, absolutely none of those are true. They're talking about better quality, um, you know thing that, you know clinics that we have credentialed and things like that. Out of network providers. We, I mean, I don't know how many out-of-network providers that you know that provide sub you know, su suboptimal care. W they wouldn't survive. They wouldn't survive, right? So, like that, that's what, that's what it's so backwards in terms of how they're selling it. Yeah. So, in a lot of cases, out-of-network providers don't even um, bill insurances, right? There's a lot of providers here in New York City that you know charge cash and um, give a receipt to their patient, and then the patient unfortunately, has to navigate the maze of reimbursement. Now, within insurance policies, there's um, a wide variety of, of policies. 
and obviously you know you can you kind of get what you pay for yeah. to some extent um so some of these you know higher end policies do have out of network benefits and don't haggle the provider or the patient um in the situation that that's very it's a rare rare situation here in New York City there's a lot of wealth and a lot of dispendable income but you know it's still it's still a, a situation so out of network providers do not have a contract patients are free to see if they have out of network benefits they're free to see anybody they want um, and just be subject to the provider's costs uh, so yeah like Lee was saying if you're an out of network provider and you're providing suboptimal treatment or care, let's just put it that way, you know, it sifts you out. So if someone has to pay out of pocket $150, $250 for a visit, you know, and they're not, they don't feel like they're getting taken care of. So out of network is definitely more of a service. You know, it, it it's not more of a service. It shouldn't be. I mean, it, it, it's basically, it, yeah. all right, so you're going to be putting forth your your money that would otherwise be covered by insurance companies. So it's going to be definitely more noticeable when you go get treatment. And if if you go there, it's going to have a bigger impact on your own, quote, economy. Right. So it'll be a little bit more, um, if you're not getting better in the, you know a certain amount of visits and or you're not getting information that you need, you're going to, as a human, you're going to want to go somewhere else. Right. And then just some, some generalizations and some... Um observations of in-network versus out-of-network. The big thing here as a patient is you will notice time with your provider. Now, uh, most in-network practices, they, they range from seeing a patient for three minutes upwards of 30. And 30 minutes are those large institutions that we're discussing like major hospitals here in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, the reverse, the two or three-minute treatment is some large physical therapy practices, maybe even a national practice. And again, I don't think Lee and I, I mean, I'll speak for myself, but I'm sure Lee would agree that mm. it's really not physical therapy. And unfortunately, no. when you hear a patient said, well, this is different, you know, I'm, you're actually talking to me, you're spending time. The big difference is time the patient has to be, is with the person. So that unfortunate, well, that fortunately and unfortunately mm. means that there's a cost associated with that, right? right. The longer you are with a provider, the more it's probably going to cost you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, and then I, I was uh, just to mention that too is um, this is something that I feel like is one of the key components of the out of network model is the fact that you can spend more time, you can build a better relationship. Yes, quote services being trend, you know, going back and forth. But the biggest thing is, are you choosing to have this relationship that involves more focus on you and all the aspects of your injury and your situation? Or are you going to go see someone who's going to have a nice short relationship with you in a sense that they don't really look at anything except for how long they can ultrasound you because it's based on how many units they could see you for, da 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 um, Real quick, to talk about the deductible and how it would work and add a network, I mentioned I had an $8,000 deductible. So that means I pay cash up front until I hit the $8,000. And then what kicks in after that is something called coinsurance. Right. Right. So you got every plan will have a difference. I don't even know what my coinsurance is, but I'm going to let's say it's 80 20. Right. So that means they're going to cover 80 percent and I have to pay 20 percent per uh, 
data service or right. per service. Uh, so let's say we'll use it easy. This is not the case usually, but I'm just using the number because it's an easy number. $100 a service. $100 a service, that means I pay $20 and the insurance company pays $80. Right. Well. Or sorry. Yes. Close to $80. Yes. <laughs> yes. So just this 80% is not just because Lee's provider said, you know, it's 100 bucks. The insurance company might say, well, <sighs> Hundred is kind of like not really the market. <laughs> I think it's more like seventy-five. So I'll give you eighty percent. Oh, to, let's make it easy. Well, that's going to be a tough number. But anyway, eighty percent of seventy-five. Here, I, I, a, get, I get. We're, we're going to go for the calculator. So eighty percent of seventy-five. Hold on, eight. Uh, seventy-five. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So, insurance company says we're not going to pay you. $80, we're going to pay you $60 because we think 75 is about the right number. Then Lee's provider says, hey, Lee, I only got 60 bucks. Now his $20 now became $40. Right. So, <laughs> you know, the mess. provider. Yeah, now, now, now think of this provider that has submitted this thing, saw Lee like a month ago, and now Lee paid him $20 up front because he thought. Now the, the provider is going to have to say, hey, I, I didn't get the 400 bucks, so you now owe me $20. So mm -hmm. we're simplifying these numbers and making it, but this is what deductibles and coinsurance typically deal with. The better right. policies has larger, the ratio has gone down over years to my understanding and talking to some individuals. Um, so in the past, I think there were more 80, 90, 100% coverage. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about that. When we were at, um, when we first got out of school, there was the existence of what they called Cadillac plans. Yes. So Cadillac plans is almost like a full, you know, you, the provider asks for a hundred, they pay a hundred, and bottom line, and the patient doesn't have any out of pocket costs aside from their premium. And they don't exist anymore. These Cadillac, or they're very, very, they're very rare. rare, very rare. Um, like unicorns. Unicorns. They do <laughs> exist. But they're very, but the average person, you know, in network has become much more a reality. And yeah. um, I believe with Obamacare, there had been, you know, lots of policies created with the gov government subsidies. Mm -hmm. And um, I wouldn't, at least here in New York City, a large majority of them were in network. Mm -hmm. um, not too different from some of the Medicaid policies, which really. To say that they pay below market rate is 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 being nice. I mean, but there's certain <laughs> policies that w wouldn't even F fifteen dollars, twelve dollars. Yeah, twelve to fifteen dollars an hour. That's for insane. So yeah, so I mean, I I I don't see the. There's just no logic no. to that. And again, it 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 discourages people from. Well, unfortunately, it will discourage a provider from dealing with that type of insurance. And then this patient will never really receive quality care now luckily mm -hmm. um, luckily some large institutions do take these insurances and pa patients do get better quality than on average on average yeah. right um, but that <clears throat> it, it, the state of affairs in the last eight years has really looked bleak and it doesn't really look I don't really think of it as getting any better I mean what I think will probably be happening is you're going to have people really off the grid, providers off the grid, and just saying, hey, we're going to go cash, and you'll deal with your insurance company. And it, it's going to be, it's overwhelming. I mean, if any patients are listening to this, um, 
it's overwhelming when you want answers to your benefits. I mean, there's often long waits, you know, uh, call centers that are not in this country that only have access to X information. So, I mean, overall, the insurance situation is really murky. Yeah, it's tough. I, I mean, I do have to mention because we, we deal with, we have, um, we have some insurance experts who work for us, and they're very helpful, extremely helpful. And when they communicate to the patient, and I, when I communicate to the patient, and I hear what, sometimes the patient will talk to their insurance company, and they have like a bullet point of information. And I'll go back to the insurance, our insurance guy, and he basically just says that that's all untrue. That has nothing to do with their plan. That has nothing. He's like, they most likely, this happens all the time, he says. They most likely just looked at their general, you know, category plan, was like this, 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 but they didn't probably look up their plan. And that happens a lot. It does. I mean, it's, it has it, to be it, it, looked it, out for. Yeah, so having perseverance and understanding reference numbers and who you're speaking to is really critical. But, I mean, I, I just see the trend here in New York City, probably L.A., Miami, you know, any major city in New York, uh, United States, it's like quality providers that are kind of frustrated and just jump off. And, and there's enough wealth to feed those providers. And, um, you know, it'll be a trend. I think um, hopefully this podcast is part of it. But hmm. just kind of um, getting back to reality and really not having to worry. This causes a lot of this in-network, out-of-network and misinformation or information that very murky really affects the quality of treatment. It affects the person's recovery rate, right? I mean, if they're, they're already stressed because of an injury mm-hmm. and now they're having a financial stress uh, of additional payments or just truly not understanding and, and then taking it out sometimes on the provider or the institution that's providing this care, um, they really can't get to the insurance company because there's multiple tiers to go through to actually speak to someone. So... You know, it's a pretty frustrating situation, um, to say the least. But I would, um, it, I would argue, it doesn't have to be this way. And um, I think transparency is the most important thing. And as a provider, you know, l- trying to educate your patient on this, although it's not your job as a provider, would be helpful. So that's why you kind of contract or consult with an insurance expert that mm-hmm. will help you out with this. I mean, it, it's a cost, but it's a cost that I think pays for itself, quite literally, pays for mm-hmm. itself because, you know, it, it just, it keeps everybody on the right page. Right. And uh, it's, uh, uh, like Eric said, transparency is super important for this because you're already in a not so great situation when you're injured and going through this. The last thing you need is like, oh, you need a prescription. You need a referral. You need to get authorization, pre-authorization. You didn't get your your referral, your prescriptions out of date. Um, all these things, and that's all because the insurance companies they wanted harder and harder to get conservative management overall. And it's to to work around that. Then we have to do other things like add a network and cash and things like that. And it's usually it's usually less stressful in that in the sense that. You, you just go directly to the provider. If they have an insurance person, you, you speak to them about benefits, and then you can start treatment. You're not, you, know, you don't have these barriers that are not going to let you begin what you need to have happen. Yeah, that's, I mean, we've seen this countless times in practice you know, where 
patient doesn't have a referral, patient doesn't have a prescription, patient has run out of visits and they've been denied physical therapy and um, they're obviously in need and there's like this, hey, that insurance company said that I had 60 visits for the year. That's another thing we could discuss. Um, mm-hmm. You know, often uh, policies have these limits on physical therapy, which I think should be in place. I mean, from a business perspective, they can't just provide infinite care to people. Right. On the flip side of it, you know, telling a person, let's say they have 50 visits for the year, isn't also, it is not also true. You know, the fine print might say up to the discretion of the insurance company, they have to authorize the visits. Um, so patients are like, hey, I thought I had 50. Why am I getting denied at eight? Um, no, it's it's ama- I have to talk about these situations. Uh, it happens almost every day, every day. You can, <laughs> you, and and they'll they'll have a panic attack, and it's understandably why they would, because nobody's explaining to it to them the way they needed to be explained. So they're like, so today is is uh, is my last authorized visit. Um, they said you have to do something, um, and I'm probably not going to get any more. And 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 I would just I'll, and it just happens all the yeah. time. So you have to be like, all right, so today is visit number four, visit number five. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do my usual documentation, Just write it, down. give it to our insurance people. They send it out, and it gets, quote, reauthori- reauthorized for more visits. And unfortunately, we're probably not going to get the same amount back that we did the first round, but you're going to get more visits. It's a descending kind of situation. Yeah. That's right, yeah. So that's another thing, too. 60 visits? That first group of exes, or group of exes. <laughs> <laughs> the first group of visits you get is, uh, yeah, I was just telling Eric this story the other day. I actually asked for 16 visits with this one patient. I got 16 visits. This is the first time ever. I've been practicing for eight years. We, we, we've seen thousands of patients. First time I've ever asked for a certain amount of visits, and I got that certain amount. It was incredible. 16 visits. So anyway, so after that 16 visits, if those, if that person needs more which i hope they don't after 16 visits um the next round is not going to be anywhere close to 16 so if i ask for let's say five more i'm probably going to get two more or something like that yeah it's a descending Uh, thing i mean another disturbing thing is when that's happening and there's a there's a patient that's post-operatively let's say they're dealing with an acl repair and i've seen this where i've asked for 16 visits or maybe even 20 visits Mm. um and I've gotten seven, eight. And this is for an ACL repair. Now, the insurance company may say, well, where's the documentation? I mean, it's pretty common knowledge if you look at any kind of ACL protocol, what the amount of time it would be for a, for you know, a full rehabilitation. Now, granted, you're not going to take this person on a soccer field you know, six, nine months later, but we're mm-hmm. talking about the preliminary first four to six weeks after an ACL repair is pretty intense, would re- two to three days a week would be advised, especially, yeah. you know, the first few weeks. And, um, yeah, there's a barrier there. I mean, I, I've dealt with many people that have been denied after, I don't know, four weeks, five weeks. I, I think the worst case scenario I've ever had after an ACL reconstruction, they got authorized for four visits. Four visits. Four visits. And and I had to talk to the support clinician, and they they could not wrap their head around the fact that this individual who wasn't like 60 years old, they were a little older than the average age for an ACL reconstruction, needed that many visits for it. And I'm like, this person just had surgery. They just had surgery. Can't walk. 
can't walk, they can't bend their knee, they can't straighten their knee. They're not going to be even off of the crutches, most part, after the four visits that you've authorized. Right. So they couldn't wrap their head around it. I was blown. I, that was the, probably the worst case yeah, scenario ever. That was worse than mine. I mean, mine it was a six to eight, and I remember the patient saying, laughing. The patient was like, oh, it must be a mistake. And I was like, no. No, it was on purpose. <laughs> and anybody who's listening to this is listening to my story right there and was like, oh, we probably wrote a poor document. I'll, I'll show you some of my motherfucking documentation. Oh, I yeah. Lee, <laughs> Lee's <laughs> a beast with documentation. He likes to write I, I, six-page notes. Yeah. <laughs> he tells you how what the temperature is. He, he I take the blood pressure. Biometrics. I, <laughs> he does everything. <laughs> he gives color. He checks their tongue. He does a little acupuncture. That's right. No, no, but it, Lee's very thorough on his notes. So, yeah. That's not the the case. Now, to that to that point, this is like the, the challenges of an in network practice, right? So you, you you're seeing ten patients an hour. I'm just making some generalizations, guys. This may may or may not be the case in most <clears throat> in network practice. Let, let's just say they're seeing four patients an hour. They have to write notes. <laughs> they have to eat lunch. <laughs> Wait, they can eat lunch? Oh, uh, they probably don't eat lunch. No. Um, See, th- and then this is all norm. This is this is the this norm. Is norm. This is the norm. I so don't, don't want to I don't want to get ranty, but uh, he's going. His, <laughs> his feathers are getting ruffled, man. <laughs> but um, you you write notes. You become you become a robot, and um, yeah. your notes do suffer. So then then maybe it is a provider's notes that are not documenting enough progress, regress, or enough of an issue, I guess, for the insurance company to reimburse. But, you know, I, we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but the investment in physical therapy, and my opinion and the opinion of many others, will that conservative management will save millions, if not, I mean, this billion-dollar kind of industry in surgery, medication, hospitalization, all that could be could be averted with conservative early management, and there's tons of research on this, of which I'm not going to post on the show notes. No, no, no. <laughs> but there's tons of there's tons of research on it. I'll give you a Google search, and you can figure it out for yourself. That's right. But there, there's tons of um, tons of information out there that conservative management will save time and money. And um, you know, some some insurance companies have gotten with the times and realize, wow, we're paying. 50000 for this surgery, and we're paying this therapist a couple of thousand. Hmm. Not even a couple of thousand. Not even a couple. Just three visits yeah. at the negotiated rate of $16 a visit. <laughs> and we saved some money there. Yeah, so <laughs> there, um, there's benefits to early conservative management. Um, but anyway, yeah, up um, to the next. So we talked about in and out of network, deductible, coinsurance, um, out-of-pocket max, um, I would like to touch on the how the billing goes out because that can be confusing. I've had conversations with patients who were very upset about they they thought they were like triple billed and things like that. Um, so, how one of the additional things that insurance companies and I think CMS, I guess that they kind of started it. Yeah, see, yeah, Medicare. Yep. yep yeah. Yep. So they they created to to quote control costs is that they have timed versus untimed codes for physical therapy service. And I'm using the word service because this is the insurance lingo. Um, So you're going to have right now the main, again, our expertise is in outpatient orthopedics. So the main codes being used are manual therapy, therapeutic exercise, 
Um, I think you could still build for ultrasound, but I'm not sure. Um, neuro, neuro code. So yeah, the neuro, neuro reeducation. So that's like the the quote. You know, no, nobody knows that for sure, right? Like the no one knows. I know. It's a debatable thing, right? So neuro reeducation. If you take it in the most well, in the the sense that it is, you know, let's say teaching a person a motor pattern, teaching reteaching them how to work, technically would be a neural re-education but i think in the eyes of possibly medicare and or some of the larger insurance companies a neural code should only be used for a neurological deficiency so stroke parkinson's alzheimer's and any other neurological condition gbs um yeah that that but i do understand that if someone let's say has a nerve injury like yourself right i mean Perfect example. You know, how are you going to get the tricep? What are you really doing? I the, mean, it's a neural re-education. The, the exercises that my therapists were doing with me, they were hands-on. Like, he had his hands on me, and they were absolutely neural re-education. There wasn't, like, therapeutic exercise can be, like, a straight leg raise, three sets of ten. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't doing that. Uh, some tricep push kickbacks. He's yeah. Like, try, you know. Bend over a little more, Lee. <laughs> Extend your arm. Hold it. <laughs> no, man. I, I, can't, I can't imagine what he's doing. He's cranking on it, right? Yeah, well, he was, I mean, he was doing, like, multifidus activation and very kind of, like, he had to palpate the, the motions that I'm doing with my my occiput. And then um, he'll do, like, contract, cool. relax, stuff like that. Wild That's stuff. crazy. Yeah. So the codes. Yeah, so these untimed versus time codes. So right. the, the unit. The unit. The unit. Oh, we love talking about these things. Units, units. We, we, we worked with... A handful of people who were just talking about this stuff all the time. It was great. Unit, units. <laughs> we gotta gotta get so many units in one session, or else it's it's <laughs> it's so bad. So oh man. <sighs> so uh, a time code is the ones we listed off right there. The the ther- therapy <laughs> exercise. I can't, bro. I can't get it out of my head now. You know what I'm thinking. Of course. Oh man. <sighs> okay. All right. all right, we're gonna keep it together. Keep it together. Um, can't, I can't even say the word anymore. This is bad. <laughs> but no, I'm gonna let you continue. Sorry. Okay, it's all right. So the the time the time units were the therapeutic exercise, the manual therapy, the neuromuscular reeducation. I think therapeutic activities and things you know modalities like ultrasound. Is gate train. I mean, gate training is a code. Yep. Um, that is. Oh, that is timed. That's timed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So the time units, uh, the time codes. They they they're built by units. I know we keep saying that. So they're built by how many units you have for that code, right? So let's say you you see somebody for thirty minutes, um, and you do both manual therapy and you do therapeutic exercise. So let's say with the manual therapy, if you do eight minutes of manual therapy, that's one unit. If you do twenty three minutes of manual therapy that's two units so you're not double billing that unit you're just billing how much time you spent doing that manual therapy so let's say uh, it was a perfect session you you (laughs) 23 minutes 23 minutes of manual therapy and you did eight minutes of therapeutic exercise so you end up with what 31 yeah 31 so that's like a perfect you just you hit three units total so two of manual and one of Therax. That was like the dream treatment that you'd, you'll do every time, right? right. So The reps are perfect. Like, 
It's the third set of late grazes. Here we go. Thirty-one minutes. Have a good day. I feel. I feel like the insurance companies picture people come in with like a screen on their chest, and it's oh. just like a timer. As soon as you shake their hand, the timer starts, and then you can just watch the timer. Okay, it's been eight minutes. Okay, twenty-two and twenty-three, and we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Lie on your back. Lift your leg slowly, one second at a time. So yeah, this this unit thing is is wild. Um, this is crazy to me. And how how much sense does that make? Eight. 23, 38 is the next one. The next level up. And I don't even know what four is. Do you know what four is? I, I haven't memorized it. I think it's 53, Lee. It's, 50, oh, it's 53. Right. It's 53. How did I not know that? I'm sorry. 53. And you got seven <laughs> minutes to just recap the session, which you will not get paid for. Um, but you can't bill the same code four times, right? I don't think so. That, that's Medicare. Each, that's Medicare. I might, yeah, Medicare pretty much... So we gotta get we, we we gotta pull something else from the menu. I gotta I gotta get the Therex or I gotta I gotta get the Norriet yeah, in there. You gotta shine up the ultrasound machine, <laughs> charge it up. Oh, uh, twenty three minutes of ultrasound that well, would kill the person. What about the East? Yeah, man. What about East? Them? That's a that's a non time code. Or the, there was a big argument at a clinic that I once knew. Um, that hit the East uh there was a billable code, but the people who I've talked to who know about billing, they said no, you can't anymore. No, oh, that's so, good. You yeah. shouldn't. I mean, if people can buy it, nah, it's a whole other story. So, so skilled, yeah, skilled. What is it? Skilled intervention. Yeah, exactly. So that's the other thing too. How does how does one define these things? And it's manual therapy, for instance, is a skilled intervention that only quote a licensed skilled practitioner can implement, aka you know someone who knows what they're doing can do it, and they're worth that amount of units in time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but, the unit. oh my god so yeah, yeah i won't even go into that but untimed codes are things that uh, that are not obviously timed but they you know they recently changed it the biggest code that we can implement that's untimed is uh an evaluation oh so you could take like five hours on this or you could take a minute but you you remember what they did when the icd-10 came around oh you have to uh categorize this shit i and if wow, you look you at totally the, totally threw me off. Oh yes. Jesus! And you wow. look. So th- that is another little sneaky thing that they did, just to show like you can't undo it. You know. <laughs> I am I, now. I'm thinking to myself. Oh, all right. We got to go back to my notes. Nah, but no, no, no. But I think um, yeah. They 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 categorized the severity of an exam, whether it's moderate severe or complex yeah the complexities uh but i think it's that i think it's like very complex or severe i don't remember there's three there's three of them like you know the the first one is lowest oh sorry low complexity to high complexity so but if you read the descriptions they're so ridiculous the high complexity is basically like you have to include you know i'm not saying this is ridiculous for the the patient i'm saying this is ridiculous that we have to you know this will always uh, be you know they're gonna give more money by the way for the higher complexity, um, and the higher complexity category, for instance, will include like a a trauma, like a mental trauma, like a divorce, or um, like a law, a recent loss that's in there. I remember going over it with crazy. Oh my god, it was insane. I th- and also like comorbidities and stuff like exactly, that. Exactly, like heart problems, yeah. renal failure, whatever it is. Yeah. And I and I, I I understand it, but they they it's just so sneaky about it. Like, don't even put in the time. This is an untimed code, and if you're gonna do split it up into complexities, great. Leave it like that. Don't say like this high complexity should take you 45 minutes to do. 
Well, it might not. It may, may take me 60 minutes to do. It might take me 20 minutes because the person doesn't want to give over the information and we might have to do more later or they might not be able to handle 45 minutes. Or they might just show up to their appointment 25 minutes late. There you go. And I have I have a patient. I have, I have six other patients right after them and if I'm late with all of them, I'm not going to be able to build those units. That's just going to well, sustain. I'm not going to be able to do his notes. Salary. He was. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Holy but, shit! But you know, I one would ask why? Why are these complex? Why did they break this up? You know, ICD that kind of leads us into the ICD nine and ICD ten. Oh, that's right. That's another one. So basically, this is diagnosis codes, right? Mm-hmm. And the ICD ten code, the most the most recent, is much more specific. I think it is more helpful. And, and if you are co-treating and you, you grab someone's chart and you see right shoulder pain is a little more helpful than left, although people put it down in the wrong place, hmm. um, it's helpful knowing if this is a recurrent or chronic injury as opposed to acute, although that's not used because whatever. <laughs> um, so it, I think it is helpful, the detail of it, that, but I think the reasoning behind it is probably another topic we'll be discussing, but really like a data collection. And I think the data collection is going to be really skewed because of the complexities of a high-volume practice. You know, people aren't necessarily documenting um, for accuracy. They're documenting, one, to protect themselves, which mm-hmm. which documentation is there for, but also, two, as to be efficient and to be to kind of be quick with it if they're seeing 100 people a day. So. Yeah. And I do. I wanted to touch on that a little bit. I, it's I, I, the more you work in this industry, and the more notes you write, <sighs> I feel like I'm I'm like Rain Man when I'm writing my my therapy notes. Like you you do your, like you have an eval, right? Write the HPI patient. You know, 26 year old patient presents with da 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 that began da da da. So then you reiterate that the assessment patient who presents with da 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 da. And then like in the objective, you say patient is presenting. Physicians, when they like write a prescription for pain medication, they're just like, pay, you know, left knee pain, pain medication. And they it, don't give the range of motion. They no. don't tell you if it was pink or red. They don't tell you the person came in happy. Or if, had a, yeah. Efficiency of these things can, it, it, it could be uh, very much easily remedied if you just, you don't have to sit there and like, you, you have to have those proper goals, you know, you have to identify the patient, every freaking goal that you have. The patient will perform, like on the surface. They still just, go over this Yeah, I mean, like the ABCs. I, it, you, all you have, the same, the goals will always be the same. The goals will oh. always be the same. I can't get emphasize them out that of enough. the clinic. That should be your goal to but, to get the patient to be independent, to do whatever the hell they want. Yes, and, and you could just have one goal: get the patient. Get the, <laughs> so that should awesome. be one goal. Please help the patient. The help, I will help this patient in doing whatever they want within a reasonable amount of time. And that's that. You it know? is so nonsensical because yeah, it's cause... like you write the same goals for the the, the people you're doing. All right, pain. I'm going to decrease the pain. I'm going to increase the range of motion. I'm going to increase their strength. Yeah, they'll be able to walk 20 city blocks in two weeks. And if you talk to an insurance person, they'll be like, well, everyone's a little different. Where are you going to like? <laughs> no, it's going to be the same. And we're writing 8,000 notes in a week. So it's like just... 
we could just say, like you just said, get to get them out of the clinic so they can be a human being. That's it. <laughs> get them out. Get them to do. They want to lift their child. They want to run a marathon. They want to compete in jujitsu. Whatever it is, there it is. It's pretty simple, um, yeah. and it doesn't have to be that complicated. They want to make it complicated. Yeah, I mean, Complexity. all this data. I mean, CMS, you know, Medicare is big on collecting data. This all probably, you know. Skew. It's sad because there's so many people that, that are on Medicare that really would benefit from quality care. And there's mm-hmm. so many barriers for them. There's so many barriers. Cost being the number one. But just understand, just filling out an intake form for some, some, some of our older individuals on an iPad, you know, which... Which they don't know how to use, and it, it's so it, it doesn't have to be this. And there's some some of the most appreciative most appreciative patients that I've had, mm-hmm. and I'm really lucky that I was able to help a lot. But it, it it shouldn't be this complicated for anyone, for the providers, for the patients. And this is definitely a rant podcast, man. Sorry, but um, <laughs> I, but no, I, it's the truth, man. It's, it's it is. And I, I when I looked at the bullet points, I was like, there's no way in hell we're gonna be able to get through this too fast without ranting. No, but, I mean it. It, it, you know what? Because we've seen so many lives affected by it, including our own. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, mm. what drove me nuts? Like what you know? What drove me nuts? What you what you just said right there with um, the excessiveness? What they have to fill out in the beginning? You know how we have to report once a year the BMI <laughs> or the PQRS? Um, oh please! Oh the G codes. Yeah, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I won't get too G much into codes. it because I think this that this is in, in the itself. this this we will not cover this. But no. Google G codes PQRS. Yeah. Did, are they doing? Aren't they doing without it now? What? What? Are oh, they, well, you want to hear about that? Yeah, I, I do. Mean, I, no, no, oh. I want. I just. I want to. Okay, so it was oh. required for us to report these PQRS codes, which include the functional G codes, um, for 2016. I think it started when they implemented uh, yeah, ICD-10, but 2017 and the current year 2018, it's optional. It's optional. Well, I would. I would include them. But I don't need what, five x ten minutes. Come on, five, five <laughs> just ten minutes. It's like thirty minutes. Thirty and, minutes. I would just include them just so that government has the data they need. I know, right? That's, so that's what these people are doing. That they're they're the they want us to include them. They want us to include them just in case. Just in case, and it, it's so ridiculous. Data points. Data. 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 I, but one of them includes <sighs> the BMI, right? So BMI. <laughs> <laughs> Is height and weight, which we don't even have an EMR that will automatically calculate that. And that's number one, so which is crazy. Um, so the patient legally cannot just put in their height and weight. You got to check it out. We have to do it. So we had to get one of those things in the doctor's office that you have to step on and measure. It's a scale, dude. Uh, <laughs> It's a scale, and I don't even know. It. I know it. I don't even. It's, it's I, called a certain it's thing. A, a ruler. We use a ru- <laughs> we use a ruler and just measure up on the wall. Oh, that's hilarious. That was great. It was like one of those things they get on. This is how crazy oh, it makes man. me. Man. No, no. It, it's. I, I'll never forget when. Ah, I'll never forget. What was that car? We need a scale. Oh my god. And can we? How many hours would? Like talking to EMR people about just comp- get setting getting the scale. I I don't know, man. And after we got it, I had a couple patients. And when you treat Medicare patients, they're not usually the most mobile. So you walk them over to the scale, and then you they almost fall getting onto the scale. So you have to sit there and guard them, and you know they're having trouble just getting on the scale. Never mind walk. And so now, like, you really think, what are we doing here? Like, what are we? What is this doing for us? If I if so, I'm gonna be 
taking the patient's time and like risking them to fall off the scale. And I know I'm a trained individual that can prevent them from falling, but like. But why aren't they on a table? Why aren't you educating them? Nope. Let's spend more time educating. Let's spend more time talking to them. Let's spend more time finding out what's going on with them. Now, we know as healthcare providers that BMI. Oh, it's the most accurate motherfucking thing you can ever get. BMI. (laughs) So if you took a powerlifting 70-year-old and put him on the scale, he's going to come up like, wow, this guy's. He's a little overweight, buddy. He's obese. He's, He's probably obese. in the obese category. <laughs> you know, and and you're gonna tell him, hey man, I know your knee hurts, but no. But all of us know the the ben- We understand body composition. We understand other factors in life lifestyle. But measuring someone's height and weight is. is... And if you're gonna reimburse that little, and then we can't even have assistance to bring them over and get these initial measurements, and we have to spend the time, their time, with us to do this. Then you better come back with some serious like benefits of all these numbers, which it has not happened in these last two years. No, it you know so, <clears throat> you know data is important, and obviously da- data could reveal certain patterns that uh, exist naturally in in nature, whatever, in time, but um, real time on the floor, patient has X time in a clinic. Um, these requirements, these Medicare requirements, are very—they're—they're um, they're really distracting from what's really, in my opinion, what's very what's important: care. Now, I understand government wants to quote reimburse. This goes into our other point: reimburse providers that have quote good outcomes. Mm. And just that alone, there's a problem. There's an ethical problem where of reporting, right? I mean. People are reporting people getting better. They're not getting better. Maybe they're getting better. They're not being reported getting better because they want to keep them on the list. Now, these are, you know, unethical providers, which Mm -hmm. unfortunately there's tons of. And, you know, with Medicare, there's been all types of fraud committed. And again, you know, to those people that are, you know, in that boat, these fraudsters really, they're really killing it for everyone else. And and Mm -hmm. it's cost... Everybody, you know, it costs the government, it costs the patient, it costs the provider. So, you know, that needs to get worked out on the private insurance as well as the public. You know, if anybody's committing crimes, they shouldn't be treating. Right. Um, <clears throat> we had that example that was in previous podcast, but the guy um, with the Medicare fraud. Oh yeah, yeah, he, he was treating dead people. He had social security numbers of, and I think it was what like <clears throat> twelve an hour, fifteen an hour, something, something like that. So it was, it was, it was something like the most. The richest physical therapist in New York, some some yeah. horrible. I, and that was that was back in the day when you didn't even hear about physical therapy, and the only time you heard it was in that stupid article they wrote called uh, "Treat Me But No Tricks, Please," and then that other article, the Medicare fraud. So I was like, yeah, it makes it paints a really great picture about physical therapy. But now, luckily, there's been some hardworking Australians and New Zealanders who's really pushed physical therapy on the forefront. So. And we're here now <clears throat> trying to educate the public, yes. educate providers, educate whoever wants to be educated on, on, you know, what it looks like in the trenches, pretty much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. So, I mean, these are some barriers that I think can be, um, you know, restrictive for someone receiving physical therapy. To talk about the good, because we already talked about the bad and the ugly, I think. Uh, actually, we didn't even talk about the ugly. I, I don't. I don't want to go too much into the ugly, but there's a lot of ugly stuff. Um, but some of the good, obviously, the good is you know with health insurance in the United States. I was listening to 
this is the part of the podcast we start talking about other podcasts. Right. Uh, <laughs> I was listening to Joe Rogan uh, talk to this individual. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but he's it was one of the new ones that he had, and she um, was on the carnivore diet, and she was overcoming autoimmune disorders, and she's Canadian, and she was talking about how the medical system is not great there, and she was explaining the logistics of actually getting orthopedic surgery there and things like that. So definitely insurance here, and when you're talking about um, serious conditions, you can, if you have insurance, you can, if you have access to it, you can get good quality care. There's, and, there's and some in, in a timely manner, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the the argument against a single-payer system like in Canada and <clears> certain <throat> parts of Europe is that the amount of time it would take to get care, like imaging, for instance, in Lee's situation, had a neck and nerve injury, went to a provider, same day, you know, we do have a cash and carry system still, so Mm -hmm. he was able to pay cash for his, and from there was able to get an image relatively quick. Yep. So these are the pros of the enormous amount of money we're spending. You know, we do get some top-notch healthcare delivered in a timely, depending on your situation. Uh, Emergency medicine being probably probably the best in that, you know, we make people wash their hands in the hospital and it helps, you know, a lot, you know, but no, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to oversimplify it, but the bottom line is we have an an amazing medical system that can take care of certain things. Yes, that has the issues like any other system anywhere in the world, but comparing it to, let's say, a, a universal system like Canada, what was this woman saying? She uh, was talking about she had an ankle replacement. Oof. Uh, so it, she had a very interesting story. I mean, he always has interesting people. She was 26 years old, had a severe, like most of her life had severe autoimmune conditions. And then um, because of that, when she was 17, her hip de- degenerated. Degenerated. I can't even say that word anymore. Degenerate. Well, he de- doesn't like it. That's yeah. why. I know. <laughs> Your brain is trying to erase it. <laughs> it's like degenerative means age-related changes. That's what I want. Age-related changes. That's so weird, man. My brain is totally fucked You don't want to say it. Degenerative <laughs> changes. <laughs> oh, I swear I'm not having a stroke. Um, <clears throat> this, her, her hip was wearing down. Yeah, that's good. At, at the age of 17. And she had to have a, or she had a hip replacement. And um, then apparently the same thing happened at her ankle. And they replaced her ankle. But now, since she's gotten older and more active, um, the material that they used for the ankle wasn't very good. And she wanted to get possibly some new material. And so she didn't go back to the people in Canada. Because if she did, she would have to wait, you know, for a very long time. She said something like three months, I want to say. So she's going to go to some doctors that she heard about here in New York. Uh, sorry, uh, in the United States. And she said she would be seen within the month after an evaluation. Hmm. So, um, you know, definitely it's going to be a, a timely thing. Yeah, I think. You want to get uh, surgery? Yeah, it's, again, pros and cons. We're trying to be relatively unbiased. Uh, <laughs> well, we're very biased. Yeah, we're very, definitely very biased. Uh, so in terms of reimbursement or information um, that leads us to another topic where if you are um, you don't have a contracted rate and you're not an in-network provider um, you are subject to the insurance company's interpretation of what is 
usual and customary. Uh, and that varies, <clears throat> obviously, according to city, state expenses. And here in New York, we you know have the ridiculous cost of living, so obviously the reimbursement rate's a bit higher. But again, that's subject to the insurance company's uh, discretion, I guess. Right. Yeah. So there's an interesting thing where you know you could you could bill an insurance company i don't know 3 units 5 4 <laughs> units and the insurance companies would say well this patient has seen multiple providers in the last month and it's called a multiple procedure reduction don't ask me what that means mm. i yet to find out but essentially we'll just pay you for one unit they're just they're just creating things just creating so mm-hmm. obviously you have your billing team uh, <laughs> or whoever you use for that or maybe even yourself you might just do the billing on your own which is a sure way to a heart attack um <laughs> so um you may call the insurance and like well yeah your patient you know your patient has seen multiple doctors and you know this is a way to consolidate you know because they're doing it. so anyway it goes back and forth, and then that leads to the next bullet point, which is the delay game. Um, insurance mm-hmm. companies typically with patient reimbursements, too. So if, if you're an out-of-network provider and provide a receipt to your patient, your patient submits it to insurance, You know they, they may re- receive reimbursement as soon as two or three weeks, which is kind of a unicorn. More mm-hmm. likely, it'll be probably eight, six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And they may have this multiple procedure code or... Whatever have whatever have you? I mean, whatever they could con- con- concoct at the time. Another yeah. delay game is in third party. So you call customer service, and customer service is now this third party company potentially. I'm going to use India as an example, but it could be Brazil. It could be, I don't think it would be China. Um, <laughs> it could be it could be somewhere. It could be a call center somewhere else, but. Typically, you know, you're getting thrown to different departments and you may leave a message. And so the the luxury of time is obviously on the, the insurance company's side because they have time and money to burn. So and they do, you know, and eventually patients kind of just give up or providers might say, well, I'm just going to. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and, and that's how the margins are increased. I, I um. I think they've mastered this game, by the way. Yeah, it 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 constantly evolves. They're, they're becoming black belts in unacknowledgement, delays, degeneration. Degeneration. I said it. Oh, degeneration. <laughs> Degenerative practices. Degenerative practices. Degenerative practices. <laughs> Degenerate. That's really what it is. Um, it's crazy, man. But you know the, yeah, the game is crazy. So to those patients, providers or any listener out there, you know, it's um, it's a challenge, but you just got to stick with it, you know. And, and uh, unfortunately, I do see the trend where um, there will be a time where it's just like providers, quality care, confident, well-versed providers will say, sorry, I'm not, I don't accept insurance, right. you know. And the tables will turn. The tables will turn. Yeah, um, it'll be very interesting. I hope I'm alive when it happens because the way things are going, it's taken a long time. But um, I, 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 we talked about it already. There's more and more people coming out of school who are not going in the insurance game, which is fantastic. And um, there's a lot of people that we know in our 
close circles that are transitioning into out of network so they don't have to um, have these barriers to treatment because they actually want to help people they actually really care about patients and they they really want to give them the best that they can give them and also use the education that they paid a lot of money for to to do and they worked really hard for yeah so this specialized knowledge that's kind of out there you know specialized knowledge doesn't mean doesn't seem to mean much um, nowadays with you know with Google but um, it does mean now more than ever with the amount of information that's out there I think it's our job as providers to help navigate all this information and like Lee just said you know the reason we we might be ranting or is because we really care at the end of the day about pe- patients well-being uh, and truly trying to help people and it's unfortunately that it's unfortunate that many providers and patients have these barriers. And if there's any some any kind of serious healthcare reform, um, these barriers need to be addressed um, in a mutually agreeable fashion. Or you just cash and carry, right. you know. And this, I guess, what bugs me a lot is, um, and I, I, I think I, I've I've been um, going over it in my head for a long time now, ever, ever since we started the podcast, and even last year. And I think to myself, why am I thinking like this? You know, why can't I kind of like play along with this little game and be okay with it? As I see sometimes a lot of therapists are totally fine with this and they're just like, well, we're not going to be able to do that for you. Da, da, da. Um, but I think I've had some really early influences before my PT career that kind of showed me behind the curtain and like what it can be. And that always stuck with me and not in a bad way, just in a way that like, well, wait, this doesn't have to be this way. And sh- why aren't we working towards it? So sometimes when I when I see therapists and other people who are non-physicians where they're just like totally in okay with the game and they're kind of I'm not going to say cooperating but they're they don't they don't seem to want to like have a change happen. I think it's all perspective and I think what Lee is mentioning of people kind of just kind of going with the flow. Complicit. That's what I, was, I meant to say. I'm sorry. Complicit. Complicit. Yeah, right. I learned about that <laughs> recently. <so>. <laughs> complicit. <laughs> He's sharing his knowledge day to day. But yeah, there's a lot of complicit. I think it's compli- <laughs> complicit, and they definitely don't see the big picture. Yeah. It's so a, it's, that, it's taking a, a step thing. back and like, oh, this is the way it has to be. This is it. This is what they do. They, they deny. Or this, you know, and it does, no, it doesn't. Oh, People would never pay for out of network. People wouldn't pay cash. Why would they pay cash when they have insurance? Mm. A lot of people do, and a there's a reason why. There's a reason why they value, they value quality. You know, and I, I and, think. Um, and now that what I'm happy about is now there's enough research to show that if you what you were saying before these early interventions, conservative management are going to have huge cost differences when you see someone who is high quality and get good education. And now we can say, like, well, look at this. this <laughs> these numbers show it. Evidence shows it. Because anytime you talk to an insurance company about this stuff, they're like, well, the evidence shows that they're not within the normal ranges of motion of their shoulder, or they are within the normal range of the motion of their shoulder. Right. Well, have you read evidence lately? Yeah, right. have you, do you know what a kettlebell is? Do you, <laughs> do you know what a squat and a deadlift is? Can you get off the toilet? Can you no? cross-collar choke? <laughs> Can no, you no, cross no, 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 no. That, that, that's out of the scope. But no, it, it's the, and, this, and that's another this is crazy. point uh, on uh, data. You know, data doesn't equal truth all the time. You know, I mean, I know Correct. some people connect the data, truth connection, or, you know, some of it is 
correlation, you know, and there's not causation. So it's really hard, you know, with all the data that is being collected, it's really hard. Certain assumptions are hard, especially when you're talking about humans, human interaction, human relationships, the human body. Really hard. We're not cars. No, we're not cars. And it's only now coming to light that there's a brain attached to the body. It's very (laughs) complex that we only scratch the surface on understanding. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we, we kind of touched upon this stuff. This, we always talk about it a little bit in each podcast when it comes to insurance, but we wanted to at least give like a full background. And I, I guess also to talk about suggestions of what, how they can improve. Yes. We love to give suggestions. I think number one, we talked about this before, don't have a, a timed unit for our treatment. Right. Have a flat, flat rate. Have a yeah, you, you see the physical therapist for a follow up. Bam, that's it. You know, and I've I've talked to a couple of PTs about this, and they're like, well, then that would make it worse for people committing fraud than people. I'd be like, no, that'd be easier to figure out because if you have someone who's reporting, I'm seeing 20 patients a day. It's impossible. Right. Versus someone who's seeing four patients a day, five patients a day, whatever it is. Who the hell do you think is committing actually fraud. yeah committing fraud and or doing really shitty physical therapy. Right. Or not physical therapy, really shitty treatment. Right. Or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's number one. I think number two would be to actually reimburse a rate in-network that is reasonable. And and I think on average, the rates that I see, the quote in-network rates that we used to see back in the the days, uh, no, they're not reasonable. They're not reasonable for the the information that we're giving the patient, the time we're spending with the patient, and also what we're offering. And in terms of like this uh, credentialing policy, I mean, really having, as Lee mentioned, maybe in that credentialing policy, really getting an interview on a on a provider, interviewing, interview. Yeah, right. ha- nobody ha- was interviewed with those yeah, things. No, Good. I mean, in, in, interview, interview the person. You know, is there a background? I mean, I'm, actually, I shouldn't say that. There's probably some kind of background check on people <laughs> with credential. I hope. I really hope they, they check your phones. <laughs> <laughs> they they follow you around for three weeks. They look. Uh, they read. They your go text through messages. your garbage. <laughs> um, they really make sure you're qual. But really, like it, grabbing, I guess, really rewarding excellence, and that's something you know you could you could kind of reward yourself for excellence because you you could dictate a certain rate. You know, you could you could do that. But if you really wanted to have a cohesive system and and have these quote negotiated rates where they don't go bankrupt because they're, you know, paying out more than they're bringing in, which will never happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and vice versa, you know, the therapist could actually have a decent living. You know, so, I mean, coming to a middle ground. And um, I, I don't think we're at a middle ground, unfortunately, because it's just, we don't, we don't, I don't think everybody understands all the factors at play. Correct. Yeah, and it's, it's too you know, if you talk to people about insurance, when it comes to PT, the first thing they usually say is, well, it's really complicated. It's really complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Many people have said that. Um, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's very complicated. But, you know, we're open to suggestions. I mean, we gave you a few right there. Yeah. Um, but definitely a good discussion point if anybody has any recommendations, you want to share your thoughts. And that, those are the simple recommendations. Damn, I mean, I have a lot more, but that would get into the complexities of our... Our existence in uh, Western civilization really would, but I, I think I, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that a middle ground can be achieved, and uh, which you know everybody's somewhat mutually happy. 
And most importantly, most importantly, patients are getting better. You know, yes. and I, patients are getting what they need, whether that's education, whether that's soft, whatever it is, whatever it is they need. You know, it just keeps them out of uh, harm's way. Right. Exactly. All right. Signing off. That's gonna be. It's gonna do it for us today. Thank you for listening. Signing off. Thank you for listening to A Few Good Physios. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Follow us each week while we interview guests and have clinical commentary. 